This is AgriPulse Open Bike. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Alicia Swartner, chairwoman of the Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee of the American Farm Bureau Federation. AgriPulse Open Bike is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta's ambition is to care for the planet and help safely feed the world. AgriPulse Open Bike continues with AFBF's Alicia Swartner next. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta's ambition is to help safely feed the world while taking care of the planet. Syngenta's working to improve the sustainability, quality, and safety of agriculture with world-class science and innovative crop solutions. Learn more at Syngenta.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. American agriculture faces immense pressure to sustainably increase production to feed a growing planet. Alicia Swertner works in the ag industry, but is also a wife, a mother, and an integral part of her family's farm. Swertner says the 18 to 35 age group faces immense pressure to survive and thrive in a very challenging agriculture environment. It's so important to understand that the current average age of a farmer is roughly 55 years old, and that's vastly different from that 18 to 35 age range. And there's a lot of reasons why that age is getting older and older. And I think one of the things to consider is it's it's tough. It's tough to get started. It's a lot of pressure on young people. It's a huge financial investment. So you go to college and you earn a degree or you don't and you try to come back to the operation. It doesn't matter what way you look at it. The finances are a big deal and the stress is a lot. Um, so I think it's it's tough as a young family to, to even consider getting into the profession. And, and not just that, but when you look at transition planning and succession planning and the handover of the operation from one generation to the next, there's a lot that gets lost. Some of that is due to tax implications and, and issues that have been put in place as, as um, you know, one generation hands that operation over to the next. Some of it is a lack of planning or poor planning that someone passes away and, um, you know, there's no plan in place for what happens to that operation and it becomes a financial burden to those that that take over and it's unable to be sustained and so i think it's important for the young farmer and rancher program to really promote engagement and encourage engagement from the members of our generation to voice our concerns about the industry and to help make others aware of what we're doing as a farm and ranch community so the word today in agriculture is that of sustainability, and a lot of the conversation is about getting carbon from the air into the soil. Well, if you want to sustain U.S. agriculture, you have to have another generation. So now the topics that are affecting agriculture are affecting young farmers and ranchers. But I would also believe that there are some very specific topics that probably are more important for you than probably some of the elder, more established farms. So let's start with one that's at the top of the list today, and that's interest rates. Some of the people that are members of Young Farmers and Ranchers weren't even alive the last time that interest rates were above the single digits. 
How are finances and how is the nation's financial policy a concern for you? Yeah, it's uh that's that's also a loaded question. You know, there's multiple pieces that go into that, uh into the interest rate conversation, into the finances conversation. Um, you know, there's there's some in, very important relationships you have as a as a farmer and one is with your accountant and one's with your banker and the other one's a lawyer. Um and so I think having those relationships is helpful um when you're looking at operating notes and being re, you know refinancing for that operating note when you're looking at land prices um you know all of those things are are one side of the conversation but the programs that are put in place to help young farmers new and beginning farmers those are also important and sometimes i think that they're uh overlooked by by some folks or maybe there's not enough awareness about, out there uh, about those programs but those are some things that we have been able to take advantage of as young farmers, uh, making sure that we're a part of those programs. Things like equip, uh, help make improvements to the land, help with sustainability, um, but also help us from a financial perspective to grow our operation. And so, you know, I think finances is one of the tough things about being a young farmer and rancher and, and starting out and being so new um, to the industry, but uh, it's, it's an important conversation. Economics of scale have wiped out a lot of small operations over a period of time, and now we find your generation either coming by an existing generation or trying to establish on your own. How is this challenge of economics of scale a burden for your generation? Yeah, inputs are they are going up and I think what we're what we're having to recognize is the trade-off. Where's the trade-off? Where do we continue in to invest? Um, what are the most important pieces of our operation? How can we change mechanical practices? How can we change the things that we're doing on the operation to make us more profitable, to make us more sustainable? You know, there comes a point where, you know, you can either apply more fertilizer and hope for the best, but if the, if prices aren't, aren't okay, if, if fertilizer prices are way high like they are today, almost twofold in some cases, sometimes more than that, it might be time to cut back on fertilizer. And the same thing goes for other input costs. Chemistry, we're typically a no-till, minimum-till operation. We're trying to trend that direction for some of the reasons we mentioned before in terms of sustainability. And we just believe it's better for the soil. But when we're talking about fertilizer prices and chemical prices going up, some of the things that we're looking at are potentially going back to more tillage on the operation. Well, I think about in years gone by, it might have been possible for a young couple to start small and work their way up. But when I think of the challenge of the economics of scale, it's like if you can't be at this particular level, you can't be. That's right. And that's an obstacle. It does. And, and it takes, you know, you, you look across and a, a big farmer here does not necessarily mean a big farmer there. And so I think geography plays into that some too. Land prices in Indiana are not the same as land prices in Texas. A big farmer in Indiana is not the same as a big farmer in Texas. So, so that plays a part in terms of what that balance is. But you're right. In terms of getting started and starting small, it's almost impossible for someone to, who's brand new, who doesn't have some type of assistance, to come in and start out farming and ranching as a first-generation farmer. There's very, very few of them. So tax policy and even the discussion that happened in 21 about the potential elimination of stepped-up basis and the estate tax of where a son or a daughter or a family member assuming an operation 
from the, the, the elder statesman of the operation, from the patriarch of the matriarch. How was this a concern for you even greater than some others? Yeah. This is, this question is probably one of the hardest conversations that we've had to have on our operation over the last five or six years. Um, you know, we, we've been married for almost six years now and, when we moved back to the farm, we started having some of those tough questions because for us, you know, my husband worked full time as a mechanical engineer before we moved back to the farm. Um, you know, and that's a pretty decent income. You can make a pretty good living, but that wasn't our passion, neither one of us. And both of us knew that being a part of the operation was something we wanted to do. When you look at the transition between one generation and the next, I think what happens uh, part of the problem is people want to hand it over the way that it used to be done. And what generally happens in today's world is because of the estate taxes, because of the stepped-up basis, it makes it nearly impossible for us as young farmers and ranchers, as you know, first, second, early-generation farmers to pay for, to buy out siblings, to purchase, you know, 100% of the operation. And so it's important to have those conversations early so that you can figure out a plan. Can we purchase partial, you know, a part of the operation now? Can we uh, work out some type of plan to buy in over time? Um, How do we... How do we make this fair? How do we make it equal? You know, what is, what is fair is not necessarily equal. So we, we've relied a lot on, you know, I mentioned those three relationships that are super important, an accountant and a banker and a lawyer, having conversations with all of those folks around what makes sense. Um, how can we shape this plan to make it the best that we can for the operation so that it doesn't stop at this generation? I think I heard some, at some point that, like less than 10% of operations make it through to the fourth generation, and that's that's us. We are the third generation, and we have three little boys, and we would love to make them fourth-generation farmers, but it's not going to happen without a lot of work and a lot of really difficult conversations and a lot of very emotional conversations. I think for the first time, the COVID crisis in the country created questions about where food really comes from and is there going to be enough food. For the longest time in agriculture, it was kind of taken for granted, I think, by American consumers that not only would there be food, but there would be affordable, cheap food. Well, now there are antagonists for this industry that don't just want to have food and ample food. They want to have food that's produced in a way they think it should be produced and in a manner that they believe is most sustainable. How is the relationship between you now, the young farmer and rancher, and the consumer and your future, how does this relationship provide opportunity or challenge for you? I think we're in a really unique situation in sort of this post-COVID world, if you want to call it that. I think we're still in the midst of it, but it really has uncovered a lot of conversations around supply chain, where the food comes from, uh, are we producing food in a sustainable way, how much are we going to rely on on our imports and our, our, our the countries that we're pulling in um, food from. So I... You know, I I think we have an opportunity to really share our stories. One of the things that's come up has been, you know, meat processing facilities. I know that's been a huge conversation in in terms of 
who owns the, you know, we talk about the big, the big four companies or the big three companies own somewhere around 80% of the market share in terms of processing. I think it's important to understand too that, you know, farmers aren't making, we see the food prices go up. And yes, there's a an increase in, in commodity prices, but it's not coming back to the farmer. And so I think there's important conversation to have, have around, um, you know, consumerism and, and who is really reaping the benefits of that. Um, but I also think it's important to share our story. So consumers should not be afraid to ask the hard questions to farmers. Um, you know, going out and, and doing a Google search on where their food comes from is not the same as finding a farmer and rancher. I'm sure that it feels difficult in some locations to know where to start uh, or to even not have access to a farm or a ranch, but there's so many programs in place and people in place ask questions, and that that would be my my biggest suggestion for any consumer who has a question around where their food is coming from. Um, Our assets are the land that we produce on, the animals that we have on our our farm. There's there's nothing that we would do to harm our assets, just like you would never intentionally wreck a car. That is an asset that you have that gets you from point A to point B, that gets you from home to your family uh, and to your job. And we, we treat our assets very well and it's in our best interest to protect those assets and we would, we also eat the food that we grow. And I think that's an important message to convey. I would not feed my children something that I, I didn't believe was good and that was healthy. Um, and, and so I think that's an important message to convey too. The America has one of the safest food supplies and, and food sources in, in the world. So you're a mother of three boys. And there are questions about genetically engineered crops, genetically engineered animals, bioengineering. Do these technologies create questions for you about safety and wholesomeness? How do you answer that for yourself, for your children, and how do you respond to other moms who have the same questions? I think they're great questions, and I think you shouldn't be scared to ask those questions. They're important questions, and just as I get concerned for my kids for for other things, I understand that moms would be absolutely concerned and curious about what it is that they're feeding their children, their families. So they are good questions. Don't be scared to ask those questions, but am am I concerned about that? Absolutely not. But I think it's important to find someone who can help you understand what those things mean. Why are you not concerned? I think there's a problem today in the industry with fear-mongering in terms of utilizing food labels that don't necessarily share anything with a consumer other than this is non-GMO, this is organic. And we have created a culture that reads those labels and truly doesn't understand what those labels mean. And I think as a young mom myself and taking and, and having the experience I do on the operation, understanding what non-GMO means, understanding that the hormone-free and antibiotic-free things, understanding the processes that the USDA has in place, that the FDA has in place to ensure that we have a safe and sustainable food supply, those are all important things to do. And just hearing from influencers on social media that eating hormone-free chicken is the right thing to do and not truly understanding that there's really no such thing. And we, we slap these labels and don't 
truly educate our consumers on what those things mean. And then they think that because it doesn't have a non-GMO label, it's safe to eat. Or they think that because it isn't labeled organic, that it, that they shouldn't go buy it. And they'll pay the twice as much money to go purchase that. And I guess I, w- I would just say, educate yourselves and or ask a farmer, um, ask the hard questions if you're not sure, because that that's where the great conversations happen. Is there a greater role for women today in leading in agriculture, but also communicating to the non-farm public the concerns that they may have about the safety of products and this industry that you're involved in? Yeah, I think women have an amazing opportunity right now in agriculture, particularly as an intricate part of the operation. And I think women take on so many roles at, at home. And, and I, in particular, am involved in our operation. I'm a mom. I also work full-time for an agricultural company. So I have a lot of different perspectives on the industry and the good that we do. And I also understand the challenges that we face. And I think as a young woman in ad in, in the agricultural industry with the experiences that I do have and, and other women in similar situations. I think it's so important to find, find your voice as a woman and understand that you have an opportunity as a young woman in farming and ranching operations with children to truly understand what it is that you're producing, that you're providing the rest of the world in terms of food, fiber, and fuel and how that impacts your own families and that you would never as a mom I would never put my family in harm if I if I knew better and I truly believe that that we know we're not doing harm and I think it's important for us to share that message Alicia you and Eric are intelligent people you have experience in agriculture you both in this technology age could stay in the house and you could spend your time with your kids and raising them and you wouldn't have to mess with dirt or crops or rain or animals and you'd do just fine. Yeah, we'd also get to go on a lot more vacations, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> I it's it's a passion and I truly think that when you hear somebody say, you know, you don't really retire from farming or it's in your blood it's the truth, and I I did not grow up truly on a farm, but I grew up with such heavy influence in the ag industry that I have such an appreciation for it and such a passion for it, and my husband is the same way. He, he knew that he wanted to go back to the farm. In fact, that was one of the first conversations that we had together when we started dating was, hey, we can get married, but you know, we got to move back to Miles, Texas because I want to farm, and it was it was a tough conversation because it is a, it's a lifestyle. It impacts holidays, it impacts birthdays, it impacts extracurricular activities for the kids, it impacts vacations. But it's a lifestyle and it's what we do as a family. And it it also truly has allowed us to grow together. We have tough conversations. We've had our share of bad years and we've had our share of good years. And that's that's what has built our relationship and made it so good and made it what it is today and it's important that we lean on each other in those tough times so I think it's you know farming is a way of life and it has really brought us closer together but the other piece of it is our kids and we know that we are so passionate about providing an opportunity for them to come back to the farm it's it is our goal to make sure that what we have today 
we leave them with something better. I find it interesting that of all the things that your Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee are involved in, you still have time to give back collectively as a group. And I'm speaking of your Harvest for All. 19 years involvement plus, 50 million Americans, food insecure, even in being the best fed country on the planet, 52 million pounds of food in 2020 donated by farmers, and over 22,000 hours volunteered in the harvest for all. I admire your effort. Is this a concern? Is it a real concern for the hungry people in the country? Absolutely. I think we've seen so many cool opportunities for members of the YFNR program to be engaged in their local communities, which is an important part of Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau is a grassroots organization, and so starting small at the community level and, and at the state level and at the national level, it's so important that we are involved in our communities and that we make it a point to give back to those communities. As farmers and ranchers, we are feeding the world, so what better way to bring the two together and help provide food for the hungry, the the very food that we've grown ourselves on our operations, providing that back to the hungry is such a cool opportunity. And it's been so neat to watch over the years what different communities, what different county organizations, what different state organizations have come up with. I heard this morning that um, there is a, a state that is doing a fill the Ford and they're parking their truck outside of the grocery store and filling up the bed of an F-150. And I think that that was so cool to hear that. You know, I can't take credit for the, the program that was started. It obviously came before my time, but it has been so interesting to learn more about it, why it was started, and to really see how that's grown and taken been taken up in the counties. Well, Alicia Schwartner, we wish you a lot of success and your year ahead and being the chairperson of the Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee for the American Farm Bureau. Wish you success with your family and with your family farm. Thank you for the opportunity for you to come and to be a part of this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and today you have the last word. Yeah, I appreciate you having us on. It's so important that we have an opportunity to really share our purpose and, and our passion, which is, you know, giving back to the community and making sure that farmers and ranchers across the country and across the world are, are heard. And I guess for me, it's so important that we, we really recognize that times have changed. Technology is different. The farming operations are different and, and our involvement is different. And myself in particular, as a, as a young woman in agriculture, I think it's so important that we encourage other young females, young moms to be involved, to voice their opinions as well um, before deciding to serve as chair, deciding to run for chair and to be elected by my committee. It was a lot of tough conversations with uh, not just my husband, but our families to make sure that we had the help that we needed on our operation because it is our family's business and with our family. But this organization is, it does so much good and it, it is so important that we continue to engage with consumers, that we continue to, to voice and be the voice of agriculture for other farmers and ranchers across the country and that we work together to really strengthen the agricultural industry. Our thanks to Alicia Swartner, Chairwoman of the Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Our guest this week on Open Mic. 
AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta's ambition is to care for the planet and help safely feed the world. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.